Do you ever feel overwhelmed with world building? The sheer amount of stuff you have to make. Well, in this episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast, we're going to tackle that. Seth and I will be discussing how the best, most immersive, and memorable worlds are actually built on the back of themes and not detail. How some of your favorite authors and world builders do this intuitively, and how it can make your world stand out. Plus, we have a few important announcements on this episode you won't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a new episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast, a podcast all about helping you create immersive settings that will draw your audiences back time and time again. Let's do this. Seth, do you ever just get overwhelmed? All the time. Like all the time. Like I've been watching videos of people who do work on horse hooves lately. Have you ever seen this? What are they called? I don't know. Shoe no, because cows don't wear shoes. They don't wear shoes. You said horses. Did I say horses? Sorry, cows. Yeah. Cows. They work oh, wait. on cow hooves. Yeah. Who are these people? They're people on YouTube. I've been watching people on YouTube who fix cow feet. And it gets me thinking, right? Like, have you ever seen, have you ever seen this? It's amazing. <laughs> I have never seen this. And this is a really weird rabbit trail to it is. go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's incredible. Because like, here's the deal. If you look at that, they are, there are a bunch of specialized tools that they use, right? These like really, really sharp, like little hooky knife things. There's a whole like thing for it. They have this whole like crane set up where they can hold the cow's leg in place while they work on it. And they have like angle grinders and all this kind of stuff. And like, there is so much you can learn about cow's feet in the space of around 15 minutes. And I can recommend some channels if anybody likes, but everything's really complicated. Right. So like if you're building a world and your world has cows and those cows are domesticated, there's a specialized profession that works on their feet. Okay, so (laughs) I think I know where you're going with this. You see this? You see where I'm going? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And immediately other things start springing to mind because one of the just pure truths about any society that advances to any degree at all is that everything becomes more and more and more specialized as you go. Yeah, which means like if you look at an economy like the Shire in The Lord of the Rings, like they had no business having a an aristocracy that was like that literate and capable without an extremely developed economy underneath. As you start to like think about nearly anything that any world builder has ever made, you're going to find some detail gaps and holes. And that is exactly what our episode in some ways is about today. It's where we should have our focus as world builders because ain't nobody going to tell me Tolkien didn't know how to world build, but that economy in the Shire is bananas for what they're actually trying to do. You're telling me these people like mostly hang out and do very little. They smoke a lot of pipe weed, drink a lot of ale. They like fresh tilled earth. We're told this, and yet they have industry there complex enough to have continual access to paper and a literate aristocracy and likely literate everyone else too, because they put notes. They have a mail system. That is really interesting, especially considering how small they are as a community. Yeah, yeah, they're pastoral. There aren't like a million of them. But look, before we dive into this, (laughs) I want to clear some housekeeping here first. So Seth and I have made a thing. We've made a thing called the World Builders Journal. And it is a disc-bound, beautiful, faux-leather, debossed-covered masterpiece for you to keep all of your world-building notes in. And tell them a little bit about it, Seth. What's the deal? It's a beauty. It's a beauty. So- We have essentially boiled down two years of in-depth conversation about world building into a 
series of pages that are going to pull out the core concepts of your world and that are going to really strike at the thing that makes your world tick. Yeah. And on top of that, it just looks really great. I don't know if I can <laughs> stress this enough. I am one of those writers who collects journals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, as I'm sitting here at my desk, I have multiple journals in sight, most of which that I've never actually written in. Yeah. Because because they look so nice. They're just too pretty. I'm desperately afraid of messing them up, right? Or they're they're good, but they don't lay flat or they there's some sort of functional error with them. There's a flaw. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, some sort of flaw with them. They don't function exactly the way I want. Let me tell you, this journal we designed looks great, but it is so functional, mm. almost to a fault. Yeah, for those of you who aren't familiar with disc binding, uh, it is it is basically the whole spine of the journal is just these flat discs about the size of like a quarter. And uh, what you can do is you can pull the pages out and slot them back in wherever you want. It's not like a binder where you got to pop anything open. You can just pull the page out, put it back in wherever you want it, which means when you create a world using this book, you can just nab a piece and put it under wherever you want. So if you have factions in there and you've developed those and you say, well, I want to kind of collect all my factions on the basis of the places where they have their headquarters. So you can then take a place page and put your factions underneath it. Or then you can take those places and put them underneath a nation. And then you can create another place if you wanted to, like representing a continent or an island. And you can you can coordinate your whole world behind this in whatever way you want. The journal's super flexible. So we we are insanely proud of it, and we will be launching it in October. Less than a month. Yeah, less than a month. October's coming quick. If you're interested in checking out a little bit more information about it, you can do that very easily. Just head over to our Facebook page. You'll see links for it everywhere. We do have a sign up if you're interested in being notified when the Kickstarter does go live. Yeah. So come on over and check it out. So now why the hobbits are just not realistic. Like, right, So there is going to be no one who will tell you that Tolkien is not arguably the best world builder ever to have walked the earth, right? Like it's most of us, most people agree that at the very least he is S tier, even if they don't, even if they argue whether or not he was top. And I, I was going to give you some pushback there, but because people will argue about anything. Oh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And 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 that's not necessarily the craziest thing to argue about. Like we could always talk about like, I don't know, Frank Herbert, Asimov, right. any number of people, but like the, you know, S tier world building is Tolkien. And I read a comment on Reddit that sort of, sort of rubbed me the wrong way, right? They, there was this conversation where somebody said, you don't have to have everything worked out when you're building your world. And someone went, ahem, Tolkien. And I was just like, ahem, no, he didn't. Like, I love right. Tolkien. Like, it's and, and again, S tier world builder, not denying this, not going to fight yeah. you on that. If you come at me saying, but he's great. I'm just going to be like, yeah, he is. The point is, even Tolkien did not get everything right in his world building. And I think that does not lessen the quality of his world building like one iota. So here's what I would counter with. Sure. Yeah. Tolkien got everything right in his world building because he knew when not to care. Yeah. Yeah. You know what he didn't care about? The Shire's economy. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was it. He didn't care about the Shire's economy. You know what he did care about? He cared about languages. His trees yeah. had languages. Yeah. And the way the rings worked and the way that magic was mysterious and Mythology. the relation, right? The relationship between the different races, creation myths, how long it took you to walk from one place to another. If you were walking 
you know, with really short legs. There's a lot of travel. It's a lot of travel. You yeah. know, and he cared about all of that stuff. And all of that stuff created this immersive world that so many of us have just loved to spend time in. Mm. And I think that's the key, right? Yeah. The things he created lended themselves to our immersion. Yeah. And no more. Right. Right. Like, so, I, I mean, actually saying no more is a bit of a stretch because like he wrote loads, but it was typically in the directions that he was most interested in. I was right. reading about like Roman aqueducts today. And like, the thing is you cannot actually build a city of sufficient size, even by a river, even in an area with, with abundant aquifers. So you can get wells and whatnot mm -hmm. drilled into it. You cannot really build a city there because inevitably a city grows to a certain point where it simply fouls all of the water near it. Right. And so what the Romans did was they built these incredible structures and it's the aqueducts. When we usually think of aqueducts, we think of bridges, these big water bridges that they built, but there were pipes underground, lead mm -hmm. ones, like they tunneled through mountains sometimes, like there was all kinds of stuff they did. At the end of the day, like my point is when we build these settings, we seldom think about the critical infrastructure that is necessary to a large city population, right? Right. Like nobody cares if Minas Tirith has an aqueduct approaching it, regardless of what the population estimates might say. Right. Because all we care about is that people live there and they're doing something interesting. Yeah. And the kind of details that matter for world building is Denethor's uh, kind of seat sitting at the bottom of the throne, right? Like if you right. ever notice this in the movies, it's one of the details that they really do well is Denethor sits at a seat that is next to, adjacent to a throne. He is a steward. He is right. not the king. And like, those are the kind of details that immerse an aqueduct. Absolutely. Not so much, right? right. Though, and it's not to say that like, there are actually some settings I could totally see. I think a, a really good example of infrastructure is, um, is the last airbender, right? They go into one of the, and I can't remember if it's earth nation or what, what they were called the earth folks, earth vendors mm -hmm. city. And they had a whole production way that was built on the, off the back of earth bending. So these earth benders, right. they dropped these enormous stones and the earth benders would slow them down to land on things. And they were throwing them all over the place using their magic system. And like, you look at that and you go, Oh, yeah. I mean, if you could bend earth like that, like that's how the society would operate. You would become right. reliant on it. It's, it's why the Fire Nation industrialized first. Right. And uh, later they're channeling lightning and using that right. to power things. And it's like, well, yeah, you know what I mean? Like they, they right. would just get better at their magic and they would get better at using it and they would find out what burns and then they'd burn it. And like, right. this makes total sense. And like that is a really cool application of infrastructure in their right. world, but it applies to the themes that they're playing with. Yeah. I guess the point is, is that like, we can discuss detail, like we can dive into detail and detail's not unimportant, right? But really detail only counts where it counts, right? Like it comes off the back of the theme. Yeah, this brings us to something that we've talked about a lot. Yeah. Was actually one of the kind of primary mo motivations for making this journal. I do have a goal of calling back to it, to this journal <laughs> as many times as I can. So either start a drinking game or, you know, just keep track on a piece of paper and then make send us a comment about how many times we we reference it. Keeping track in the journal right now, actually. Got oh, it on okay, hand cool. here. Yeah, there you go. Carry on. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so what you're talking about really points us towards something that comes up in our conversations all of the time. 
Yeah. Right. And that is meaning centered world building. Mm. Right. Yeah. So when Tolkien sat down to write The Hobbits, he was writing a feeling. Yeah. He wanted the visitant to have a certain feeling that he had experienced in the countryside in England. And that's what made Peter Jackson's adaptation so good. It's right. not necessarily that it was strictly accurate to book, though it was fairly accurate. Right, but he he captured that pastoral sense yeah. Yeah, so, you, so you can well. Hear, you can hear the violin now. Do, 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 Like, you know, that whole like yeah. theme, like you can hear it. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful, yeah. It is. And it doesn't matter if their economy works. It doesn't matter if they actually have a large enough population to yeah. support a postal system. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter that they have parties all the time or that they're constantly eating and drinking food that has to be produced somewhere. Like, none of that matters. All that matters is that we know this setting exists as a visitant, right? Yeah. We know this setting exists. And I think as world builders, we can really glean an important core concept from this. Yeah. In almost every excellent piece of world building. Yeah. There's going to be a central theme and a central feeling that emerges. Now, I will say that sometimes a world is large enough that it is constructed of multiple themes and multiple feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars might be a good example of that now where it's kind of expanded beyond its original intent to some degree, especially with legends and stuff. And I mean, even Lord of the Rings is sort of that way too, because you have the Hobbit, which has a particular, you know, feeling and the places they visit in the Hobbit have a particular feeling. And then you have Lord of the Rings and that has a different feeling because the Mm. intent behind what Tolkien was creating, the intent behind the world building was different, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that as creators, we can really borrow this concept that what our visitant will care about the most is the feeling that they get from visiting the world. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it as well, like it it dovetails into Tolkien's narrative. His goal was to present the hobbits as quaint and pastoral. It was to present the English countryside as he remembered it. Right. And that was the mission. It was not necessarily uh, a lot of verisimilitude, but we kind of find ourselves like just accepting it because that's kind of where the story has it. I think we just get at times too hung up with the amount of sheer stuff that we have to produce. Now, it's there's a lot of folks who world build for fun. And like, I yeah. know a bunch, I read them online from time to time and yeah. their level of research blows my mind. Like, I totally get it. I played Civilization. I know what it's like to tinker. You know, like, yeah, I enjoy that. Sure. I enjoy that. But by the same token, a lot of what we have really sought to do is something, is to kind of systematize what I think a lot of great authors, a lot of great game masters have already been doing. Right. Like it's I think a lot of people already have this grip on it. Like and I think Tolkien's a good example of that. Like I've heard people also credibly break down George R.R. Martin's demographics to the point where they're just like, there's no way armies like that could ever be supported given the right. economies that we're seeing. I mean, I talk about J.K. Rowling all the time because I think she is honestly the master of a lot of this. And I actually yes. heard a guy commented on one of our TikTok videos. He'd said, you know, honestly, like the only thing that was good about Harry Potter was the world building. And I was like, ooh, I kind of like that. <laughs> 
that take. Like, that's pretty like, cause I was like, no, it was a great story. And I'm like, well, I was 11 when I read it, but it's right. like, it's also like they're mystery stories and they're very good. And like, I enjoy them, but they don't hold up quite as well. I think as you get older, but again, like you said, the early books were aimed at a particular audience and the stories grew up with those. They did audiences, they did. right? And very well as very well. Yeah. And the world building in it is incredibly immersive, even though it is. it is totally impractical. And like, I know we harp on this a lot, but like, I think this is actually like true of many world builders, even to some degree, one as great and as thorough as Tolkien, though, like they're not on the same scale. Like, I totally get that. But like, right. there's a sense in which both of them mastered thematic elements that were driven through their stories and that stick with us. I think you're right. I think that you will not find a master storyteller who doesn't use this tactic, right? Yeah. Who doesn't use meaning-centered world building. Usually intuitively. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that the more we as world builders try to cram interesting things into our story the quicker we're going to lose our audience. Yeah, there's something about keeping the main thing the main thing and not necessarily allowing yourself to drift away too much from the core idea that you're trying to present. I always recommend trying to keep it simple, stupid, right? Like right. As, as they say. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't actually develop these ideas more. I was thinking about yeah. this. Soft and hard magic systems, right? Like there are two different mentalities with it. And really what we're talking about is soft and hard world building. And right. we are generally favoring a softer, more thematic approach to world building where you do not necessarily show the audience behind the curtain. Now, the difference between hard and soft magic isn't actually how much the system is developed. It's how much the visitant knows. Right. For all we know, Tolkien mathed out the encounter with the Balrog. For all we know, like Tolkien had a spreadsheet that he had established. Right presumably with analog technology, but like had, had like <laughs> some system established for how that encounter would be. He work. had literally drawn out yeah. with his ruler. A sheet. He had given <laughs> armor classes to the Balrog yeah. and to, no, but it's like, the whole point is, is like, it's not so much that you don't know it. And this is kind of where a lot of like the detail heavy folks, I think should really like, you know, heed well this is that like, right. we are not advocating that you don't. We're just saying that right. there are diminishing returns to having worked that out. And if you yes. still get something out of that development, that's cool, but you needn't burden your audience with that. Yeah. Because one really cool thing happens when you leave room is that you allow space for wonder, right? You yeah. allow room for people to not know what's around the bend. And like I use the Argonoth as an example for this all the time in Lord of the Rings when they're going down the river and the camera pans out and there are these two great kings stood there with their hands outstretched as if to say stop. We are told very little in the moment about it, but we are left imagining the types of people that might have built something like that and what right. their city might have been like. Right, because they're so drastically different from everything else around. Yeah. Right. And that's wonder. Wonder can only exist where knowledge doesn't. So yeah. if you are telling people stuff, you are taking from them the opportunity to imagine it themselves. 
And like, that's one of the key things to me. What That's what sold me on soft world building because I had always been one of those guys that goes, meh, you don't have single biome planets. That's not realistic. <laughs> you know, I was like the kind of guy that would just like point crap out in movies. And now I'm just sort of like, yeah, I'm into that. John Carter of Mars. Okay. Like, it's just <laughs> like, I'm like game now. It's like, I'm so much more excited about movies. It has changed my life, like my outlook. But like, it's true. This is what draws people into world building. It is. It's what allows somebody to really immerse themselves. Yeah. There's also a really practical reason that you would err on the side of meaning-driven world building as opposed to detail-driven world building. And that's simply because you're never going to get it right. Yeah. That's true enough as well. Yeah. You simply can't. Like you're never going to get it right. And you're yeah. always going to have a gap. And somebody will find that gap, right? Mm. Because everybody is tuned a little bit differently and they're going to be looking for slightly different things. And so what one person might say, oh yeah, that's great. That's pretty airtight. Another person is going to come along with a different life experience, a different way of looking at the world and is going to say, hey, what about this? That's horse crap. Yeah. Right? And I throw the popcorn at the book. That's not how that works. Yeah. Or, hey, based on this one thing you said X number of pages ago, X number of chapters ago, X number of episodes ago, this wouldn't work out this way. And this is really where that maxim of kill your darlings comes in, right? Because we are so often, and if you haven't heard the expression, it's essentially just this idea that when you're creating things, sometimes you as a creator are going to fall in love with an idea that doesn't need to be in your work. And that doesn't mean that idea isn't a good idea. It doesn't mean it doesn't belong elsewhere. It doesn't mean that you're dumb for having thought of it. It's just, it doesn't fit. Or right. or it's distracting. It might be a bad idea too. But I mean, still, it, it's it like- could be a bad idea. But more often than not, it's simply distracting from the meaning that you're trying to convey. Exactly. Like it's cool, but it's not central. Yeah, this is a common trap. And I think there's a little bit of hubris in authors at, from time to time where you have an idea and you just really want to just like shoehorn that sucker, right? Yeah, but yeah. guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at you, Seth. But like- <laughs> It's one of those things where like you also don't have to necessarily draw attention to the levels of detail that you put in your world. And like, so a really good example of this is Futurama, right? So Futurama had possibly the most educated team of writers ever to work on the stupidest show ever. Like (laughs) it is incredible because there's actually a moment where they're watching a race and it comes down to a quantum finish and they take a picture and a bunch of physicists like exchange beakers and go, it's this guy. And the professor yells, no fair, you changed the results by observing them. And (laughs) anybody who knows anything about quantum (laughs) physics goes like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But the show moves on, right? The show does not linger on that joke. And in that moment, the show feels no need to highlight it. I think there's something really cool. I think Ed, my dear brother, when he was on the show a little while ago, we were talking about faster than light travel. And like, he worked it out. Like he actually figured it out. And if you go through his books, like he did it with relativity Mm -hmm. and like you can actually time it through his books. Which is so cool. It's it's really rad. Exactly. Like it's really cool. We are not anti-detail. Like I love right. detail, but he doesn't feel the need to draw everybody's attention to it. it like it's present 
in his books. But like, it was not necessarily a thematic element that he needed to highlight. He created a hard sci-fi setting, like that's great. But then you get a show like The Expanse, which actually weaves its world building into the tension and the drama of the show. Like the hard sci-fi setting, despite all of the research, and we can always go, well, what about The Expanse? They did loads of detail, sure, and it plays a role. Like if somebody gets a bruise and they're in zero G, it's going to get septic because it's not able to drain, says James, who has no understanding of medical anything. But you need gravity, basically, to heal basic wounds is the point. And so they use that to create tension in the show and drama in the show. It shoehorns in the plot. Your world building should rub up against your plot like a hungry cat, but it shouldn't, like, be in it. (laughs) Like, you know, it's, like, intruding in it, like the fly. Where world building becomes a detriment is when it overshadows Yes. Yeah. It becomes a distraction. Yeah. Because here's the deal. Listen, this is the reality. When you wake up in the morning Mm -hmm. and you reach for whatever's on your nightstand, usually your phone, right? Yeah. You do not think to yourself about why your phone is operating. You don't think about how it's operating. You don't think about how gravity Mm -hmm. is working to allow you to pick up the object. When you get up and go downstairs, you don't think about why the stairs are holding you up, right? There are a million things that happen in your life in every moment. That exist unexamined. That exist unexamined, right? This is the way people walk through their life. In fact, most of us don't examine anything. Right. All we're focused on is the immediate problem that we feel like we need to solve or, you know, whatever's at the top of your mind. Like, yeah, that's what you think about. You don't examine why is the world working the way it's working. And so as somebody who is stepping into a story, why would you want to spend your time? And this is a rhetorical question, because obviously the visitant doesn't want to spend their time in the reality of it. They want to spend their time in the escape of it, right? Mm. I feel like I'm getting really excited about this, which is a little bit weird. But no, it's right, though. Get excited. Anytime we visit a new world or a world that we love, we go there to experience something that is not reality. Yeah. Because if all we cared about was experiencing reality, we just wouldn't read those books. We wouldn't watch those movies. We wouldn't play those games. Yeah. Right. We just go out and experience reality. Yeah. It's literally outside. That's why I stopped playing The Sims. Yeah. I was like, I could be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I just totally threw you off. And I, I'm so sorry. It's true, though. No, 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 no. You know what flashed into my mind? What? Cyberpunk 2077. Why You're am just I playing like, this stupid game? I, I could, could be, be doing this. this. <laughs> I could be doing this. That, that would be a massacre. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that would be something. Yeah. So you're going to wind up on a watch list. Listen, the point is we visit worlds. Other people visit worlds because we are looking for something outside of reality, right? A Mm. feeling, an experience. And as a world builder, my primary goal should always be to convey whatever meaning I'm interested in conveying to my visitant. Yeah. Whatever story you're trying to tell. Yeah. And humans are always seeking meaning. It's what we do. We are always trying to find it. It's actually why conspiracy theories exist is because people look at a whole pile of disparate phenomena and they try to connect the dots. And like, it makes you always want to find out why and you want to piece it together. And in the absence of a story, we'll just make one up. So like literally your world is about 
the story in many ways, though it can be separate. It can have a life of its own. Yeah. And I think we need to clarify here, and I I know we've clarified in past episodes, but I want to clarify here that we are not talking about narrative. Yeah. Right? When we say the world has a story, we're not saying the world is intrinsically tied to the narrative, though I know some people do make that argument. No, the world has a story. There is something happening in the world. It's not simply a snapshot. There is something happening in the world, even in art, right? Mm. It is telling you something about the place it is picturing. The Nighthawks is one of my favorite paintings. I love it. It's so good. It's just a bunch of people sat in a diner drinking coffee. Right. It tells you something about the night they've had and it makes you imagine it. Yeah. This is really the job of world build is you're just laying out the breadcrumbs and you're letting your visitant finish the work, mm-hmm. letting them do it. I know Seth will attest to this, given the way that he writes his books with a lot of collaborative engagement, that oftentimes other people's ideas are just way better than your own. Oh, so much. Yeah. And take it. Like this is especially true yep. for GMs, man. Like the best thing is when your players come up with a cool conspiracy theory in your world. And yeah. because you're making it on the fly, they're probably right <laughs> like to some degree. You What's know? so cool about yeah. it is that clearly illustrates how engaged people are. Yes. And isn't that the point? Mm. Now, you know, maybe there's somebody out there who's listening to this who world builds for themselves, but right. Oh, they yeah. just yeah. world build to world build. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if you enjoy doing that, that's great. But I guarantee you, as soon as you go to show that world to somebody, unless you give them a reason, a meaning to bite onto, they'll listen and nod politely, and then they'll be on their way. Yeah. But if you want them to engage with your world, if you want them to to join you in exploring this awesome place that you are discovering, and that you are creating as you are discovering it yeah well put some meaning oh sorry what (laughs) that too buy our journal yeah no for real for real the journal is literally a tool designed to do exactly yeah this this is the goal this is a lot of the goal of it that was a really good summary seth and like i think we can leave it there and i think that's a good place for us to close but before we really finish off here we want to announce something it's a little bit bittersweet so let's take a deep breath we are gonna take a little break from the podcast for a little while we are gonna have a ton on our plates with the world builders journal It's got a lot to do. And with the Kickstarter, we want to make sure that this gets our full attention and that we are able basically to carry this through. Yeah. So we're not going to set a time limit on it because on top of getting a little bit of space to do the journal, we also want to consider how we deliver this podcast and how we engage with you because we want to make something above all that's useful to you. Yeah, you. (laughs) Because it's this is about you. This is for you. We want you to walk away from this a better writer, a better GM, a better world builder. And so we want to kind of consider how our content works for that and how we might need to deliver it. So we're coming up with some ideas. We're going to cook some stuff up and come back all the stronger. But for a little bit, we're just asking for some patience while we work our way through this. And we're asking you to jump on our Discord. That we are, because we're still going to be there. Yeah, we're still going to be there. We're still going to be talking about world building. We have a bunch of projects that we're working on. Really excited for the stuff that's coming up. Yeah. But we want to make sure that we're putting our full attention where it is best served 
And we want to make sure that, like James says, when we're coming back to you with content, with world building content, it's being delivered in the best possible way. Yeah. So with that, we're going to close off and we will see you guys soon, hopefully on the Discord. We'd love to have you there to chat with us or on our page or in our Facebook group where we are popping in to hang out and talk about world building. So come hang out. Thank you for joining us on the Worldcraft Club podcast. Be sure to come and find us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our Discord server linked below. If you love what you hear, please give us a five-star rating on the podcatcher of your choice. And finally, we want to say a thank you to our amazing patrons who support us on Patreon. If you want to chip in and help us produce more content, please head down and find us at patreon.com forward slash worldcraftclub to get extra episodes and content for as little as $2 a month. Again, this has been the Worldcraft Club, and we're so glad you gave us a listen. Until next time.